the emergency broadcast system. This is not a test. Repeat, this is not a test. This is our Broadcasting live from a oh, it's a Chinese made microphone today. Hi, top Sioux Nation. I am uh, Corey here with May. How you, how's it going, May? Welcome aboard. Howdy, and, and Clemens. How you guys doing today? Good. Happy Sunday Good. morning. Uh, I, this is uh, it's quite a show, uh, but it's a long time coming. You know, I'm checking things off the list here, and uh, I'm. I mean, everyone knows about the Columbine shooting that happened, um, the Columbine massacre. So uh, we're going to do a little dive in it because it was it was interesting to see the reaction after the Las Vegas um, episode we did with the shooting that happened there, and uh, some of the videos that are available on the internet of you know incidents that you know the shooters and the gunshots and all of that stuff so i decided well let's take a look at some other shootings and see if there are any type of similarities and the first like real shooting i ever thought of growing up was the columbine shooting that's the first time i remember a mass shooting like i'm sure there was before that you know i was born in 87 obviously the oklahoma bombing yeah, you know, I remember that, and I was like, "Oh, that was '95, so I was probably uh, what was I, eight years old when that happened? Seven, eight years old when the Oklahoma bombing happened." So I remember seeing when that. They set him up. Oh no! I and see, and there's there's a lot of interest. There's an interesting trail that leads back to Waco. It's like Waco, Oklahoma City bombing, Ruby Ridge. Columbine shooting, but the DC one that sniper too. Like he was sniper, in there too. Yeah. But wasn't that like was that when when did the when was the DC sniper? Oh four, oh five. Yeah, it was a little later. Yeah. Yeah, I want like, to say I was in high school. Yeah. When Columbine happened, or no, when DC? the DC, the DC yeah. sniper. I was in high school when the Columbine thing happened. I was like ninety nine. Yep, ninety nine. Yeah. Um, yeah. I remember uh, driving past the school with my grandpa, uh, like not right at, but like a couple, like a week or so. We come in because um, um, my uh, grandparents lived in in Inglewood and stuff, and I don't know why we were why we were over there, um, but yeah, we just I remember driving past the school and seeing it all, and you know, not knowing anything, but you know, grandpa saying. You know, hey, there's, you know, Columbine School, you know, and, and whatnot. But do you remember you know, it not being registering closed? it as a kid? Do you remember it being closed off, or was it like, um, like uh, the plywood and stuff was up, and just yeah, it was definitely, um, you know, it it was. I don't remember it being like. I'm trying to think. I just I I just remember looking and just seeing a bunch of plywood up and like tape everywhere, but that was it. Like nothing 
Was it uh, when was that your first recognition of hearing the word Columbine or had they talked about it in school before that? And so when you drove past it, you already knew what he was talking um, about. No, because when, when it happened, I think we were living in North Carolina. And uh, I want to say my mom was watching Oprah or something. And we come into the house and uh, it had broke the news. And we just, um, you know, we were all just kind of sitting there and, you know, watching the TV and whatnot. And then, you know, fast forward, we go visit my grandparents in Colorado. And, and like I said, I'm, we're, grandpa's taking us out. We're running errands or we're doing something. And we drive past the, the school, the high school, and he just points it out. And I think it just clicked from, you know, um, just seeing it on TV, you know, and being, you know, and then driving past it, you kind of like, but, but I don't, I mean, what was it? 99, you know? So I don't, yeah. how old yeah. are you? I'm 34. So no, I mean, how old were you when it happened? I was born in 89, uh, 10. So, old. and what about, what about you, uh, Clemens? Uh, I was 16 and I was in school and I, it, it was a big deal. Like they, uh, I, well, I was happy cause they let everybody out of school cause they were afraid something else was going to happen somewhere else. Um, you know, like why I, I never, I never and knew. You were in Iowa at that time. So yeah. I was far reaching effect of that day. Yeah. And they, they told us like in, in school, uh, they told us that this was happening and that they were sending everybody home and it was like in the afternoon. So I was like, sweet. And I ended up going home and then that's when I, uh, like learned about it on, the on CNN. So, and I don't think I'll ever forget, but like the one thing that always sticks out to me every time I hear about Columbine is that kid with the white shirt, like jumping out the window like his his whole shirt is like the front of him is like full of blood and it looks like what uh it looks like a police officer or something is like pulling him out of the window and he's like yeah. um i don't know like that still to this day like i i still remember that like it was yesterday so it's weird because clips like that stick with you like now that you say that i could just kind of i could process it and then like when you think of like the twin towers falling and the yeah. people jumping out of the towers like just yeah, stuff like one. that kind of, yeah. yeah. So, it's um, I, I, you know, that's what's, because I would have been eleven, uh, maybe twelve. No, I was twelve right then. Um, yeah, because if you're born in eighty-seven, because I'm in eighty-nine. Yeah. Nope, I was twelve. So I just remember. I just remember hearing about it, you know. I don't really remember much of a reaction. Because were you in compound that. life at twelve still? Yeah. So you know, yeah. I think it was um, you know, it was sort of discussed within the church, you know, as um, you know, this is just proof that the devil's taking over a real strong religious undertones. Um, I remember them emphasizing the fact that one of the girls had been asked if she believed in God yep. and then was shot after she said yes. So it was like very strong 
religious undertones that I noticed, um, you know, the church would talk about and like their literature, you know, went all the way up to like the headquarters and, you know, um, I can't remember. I don't think any of them were witnesses, you know, cause if one of them was a, like a witness that had been really blown to kingdom come as a martyr, you know, type of situation. Yeah. And you saw that a lot where it was sort of politicized almost immediately. Do you guys remember like, what uh when it came to the two guys eric harris being one and uh it was what was it dylan dylan uh Klebold was the other one do you guys remember any you know any type of like repercussions or you know talking about them any details now that you say that i remember the trench coat mafia like that was a huge thing. Like, I don't know, like, again, I was in Iowa, so it was, it wasn't so like close to home. And so, you know, a lot of more people were talking freely about it. So um, those kind of things, like when people wore like trench coats or wore, like yeah. it was always associated with, with those things. And, and like our school, like if, they didn't allow people to wear trench coats for a while. Like, as oh, really? School, yeah, they wouldn't. Um, we, we couldn't. So, I don't know. I can't remember if it was the news that labeled it the trench coat mafia. But like you saying that, like, made me think of that because I think that isn't that where that. I don't know. I thought it does come from. There. Yep, yep. Yeah. It does come from there. Um, I remember uh, violent video games being blamed for it. Uh, the kids, I mm -hmm. guess, played Doom. And uh, like you could design your own maps and there was a rumor they had created a map that was like the exact school, layout right? of the yeah. school. Yeah. Right. Uh, so I remember. Yeah. And and then, of course, guns, guns. That was like and the, even the NRA was like supposed to hold an event like a couple weeks after that, that they had planned before Columbine happened. And even the NRA, which is uh, like America's arguably America's largest lobby for gun rights. Um, or that's what they claim, um, like postponed their convention because of how everyone was freaking out about the guns. It was crazy. I remember it was, there was, um, I would, I would say there was, a uh, before nine 11, you know, cause nine 11 happens, you know, what a year and a half later, two years later, somewhere around there. And, uh, and, but, before that Columbine sat, I think with a lot of people nationally a lot longer, you know, nowadays, you know, there's school shootings and it's like, eh. <laughs> you yeah. know, it's like, eh, it's pretty rough. Uh, and then you, you've moved on. Uh, yeah, it doesn't get as much attention, like maybe, no. maybe a week. And then, then yeah, like everybody's moved on. Is it sad to say, cause it's, it's almost commonplace. Like, we just we well, it happens I, and we're not we're yes. not kind of shocked by it and then yes. something else happens in this stupid world we live in and they're like oh on to the next ticker tack thing that we have to now you know there's a school shooting in Florida oh now milk is seven dollars a gallon you know and you kind of just shift your mind yep. to to what bullshit's getting pushed out so well and and there's a big tie to like from gun rights to um school shootings so like around like i don't know about you guys but i i feel like there's like always a like 
more news and things that are reported around times of election or when they want to push some sort of agenda. They're like, oh, well, if we didn't have AR type weapons with these large ammo capacities, then, you know, these things wouldn't happen. And it's like. Yeah, um, I got to actually clip just to that. exactly what the exact same conversation we've been having since since I was in high school. I was a junior when the Columbine shooting happened. I was part of the first generation that saw routine school shootings. We have now produced the second school shooting generation in this country. We dare not allow there to be a third. Something is broken if it is even possible for the same debate around the same solutions that we all know. All right. So, I mean, it's just showing that's it went hard political. It's a talking point to this day. It's and the reason why I think people like born after us or, you know, around that time that don't realize it because it's a common day thing now. Not a common. It's pretty common. Um, is that Columbine had never happened like that before. I mean, we had had a government building bombed. We had Waco. Um, you know, we had these incidents happening, um, but not to kids. It never had happened to kids. You know, like there had been like maybe some gang violence involved, you know, sh- shootings of that type in a school, but not for like a senseless, you know, they they there was no real motive given. Do you remember why those kids, Dylan and Eric Harris, shot up the school? Like, do you remember any of the reasons you were told? We were told it was because they were outcasts. Like, and if, uh, and that's where the whole like inclusion thing started and where we need to be friends with, uh, with everybody because, you know, I remember the anti-bullying thing, like, Growing up, like after, you know, not right after, but I remember middle school and high school, like it was, hey, be friendly, stick up for people, don't bully people, treat everybody with the same respect. You know, it was, it was almost, you know, kill it with kindness. You know, it was. And it's, and it's like, so you mean to tell me that these two kids, like they, sh- they shot up an entire school, killed that many people because they were being bullied? Like, I, f- I feel like if I was like, and I, I'm always somebody that tries to, tries my best to put myself in somebody else's shoes, right? And this is kind of a bad situation. So, but if I were being bullied, and this is a whole reason I'm going through these, these steps, right, to like potentially go through and you know cause chaos like the my first targets or the people that are that have affected me or got me to the point of where we're at now so like i guess it just makes me think like were all the people that got hurt like part of i mean were they were they the ones bullying these kids so we're going to go into how the public was um, exposed to what happened to Columbine versus um, some eyewitness accounts from kids that were there. So yeah, cause didn't they say it started outside with the athletes and then they were, they were inside. Wasn't that what was pushed? 
you know so what's okay so we're gonna go we're gonna go yes yeah, so the the official narrative is that at 11 19 the boys have their two vehicles parked in separate locations one's in the senior parking lot i forget it the other one was in a like there was a senior only parking lot and then there was a, like a general area parking lot both of them parked in separate areas uh and then they meet up and they're walking in and uh, they shoot their first victim outside um and then at 11 19 you know the shooting inside the cafeteria begins the boys work their way up from the cafeteria up the stairs into the room above the cafeteria which is the library so they go up the stairs through some halls you know randomly shooting into rooms and then they end up in the library where i believe they kill seven i think it's seven people are killed inside the library so uh before they turn the guns on themselves at 12 i think it's 1205 1209 somewhere around there so less than an hour all of this stuff happens and then the boys are dead so um and uh jefferson county there is no police department for littleton colorado at this time i don't know if there still is which i found interesting so there's no police department so it's governed by jefferson county sheriff's department so they uh respond to all major calls and there is an fbi office within their um office uh, which would make sense why people would have guns like just to just to say that like if you don't have a local police department there then it would be more likely that law-abiding citizens around there would more than likely own at least one weapon now what do you guys know about the town of littleton colorado i so assume say what i said i assume it's little <laughs> it's a town of forty thousand people so decent size decent yeah. size town uh there is a big factory there um you may have heard of it. it's called lockheed martin oh yeah oh, okay yeah um okay. now lockheed martin employs ten thousand people so you know if you like do the math and they're like there's two kids to every household pretty much everyone's employed by lockheed martin out there yeah. Yeah. so a quarter of the population yeah 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 quarter of the population so you know big big deciding factor in the town of littleton colorado that's you know the local shop that's keeping the town alive if they were ever to close up they'd be out of you know so that's and uh so uh i've actually got uh and this is like i just you know like to sort of emphasize like the seriousness of this you know like they've it, they didn't release it at first but eventually they did release certain videos and um recordings but what's interesting is what's talked about very little is that at a at 11 o'clock a bomb goes off about three miles south of Columbine. Did you guys ever remember hearing about that? No. So, so a bomb goes off in the middle, not in the middle of the road, but like, you know, in the, in the median between a four lane highway. And there's audio tapes of people calling into 911 saying, hey, it looks like there's some accident that happened or 
we just saw some sort of explosion and this call you know these calls come in for about five minutes you know before the fire department gets there and they're like well it's like a pipe bomb or you know i mean no. it makes sense though right like you but it does it makes sense but it doesn't like you know you we put ourselves in their shoes right like if you set a bomb off three five miles away from from where your main target is you're gonna send every resource to that bomb and then you're gonna do your most damage at the school but if the timeline doesn't add up where the the bomb went off maybe too late and then they ended up ki killing themselves i mean that'll be the because i just um not just but like i think the daily wire had that movie they produced of that um of a school shooting kind of, I think, I don't know if it was representing Columbine, but in the movie, the, the group of people that, that do the school shooting, they set off a, a, a car bomb and it brings the whole police department, the fire, it brings everybody to that thing because it catches a field on fire too. So it's all the resources are going to set off, you know, to, to do the thing while they're destroying the kids and the high school, you know what I mean? Like they're, they're building up their barricades. They're doing everything they need to do to, uh, to solidify the, the high school for when the cops and stuff get done handling that, that they're already set up, you know, to defend the cops through the high school and to take out, you know, the, the targets at the school. But I mean, it, it makes sense to. And they, they do, do accredit it to them. Like, yeah. I mean, it, it, it is accredited that they planted a bomb as a distractionary device that went off around 11 o'clock. The problem was that it was so close to the school shooting time happening that it really didn't, it, official records say it didn't detract from them getting a response team to the Columbine, you know, almost still immediately. Yeah. You're muted there. Um, uh, uh, Mike. Oh, sorry. Um, quick question about this. Like, so they had a, this is a distraction bomb. Like, and these are right. like, keep, keep in mind, like these are kids who I, yeah, I mean, they kids try their best, um, to think ahead. Right. And think of like multiple steps ahead. So I'm just, I'm, I'm having a hard time wrapping my head around like these kids, like thought of taking a video game like doom and like building an entire thing like that replicates their school. So that way they can plan ahead on doing this and not, not having any, any sort of targets in mind. And like, it's a multi-step process. So to me, it's just like, I don't know. It, I'm having a hard time. Like, is this a, do they have like, were their parents like in the military? Do they have any sort of military training or police training or, or anything because I mean, well, I mean, I don't think a 16 year old would think of like, Hey, let's think of a bomb right. and have it blow up a block away. So that way we can do all this. So, yeah. um, Eric Harris's father was 20 years in the air force as an air force transport pilot. Oh, okay. And he traveled to five different bases growing up. Uh, the last base he was at, he complained to a coworker about headaches he had been getting from testing they were doing. 
and then he retired after that assignment and moved to Littleton and then worked as a contractor for Lockheed Martin. So there, there's something interesting there. Um, and then he knew that Eric Harris was making bombs and decided it'd be a good father-son bonding moment if they just made a bomb together. Oh. Yeah. Hmm. So there's, there's. I mean, this some, was the '90s, right? I mean, so '90s, yeah. It was. It was. It was. That's fair. That's fair. Now it's interesting because I listened to a uh, podcast where the uh, one of the co-hosts is a um, ex uh, FBI agent that worked the case of Columbine and was there for three or four days, and she made it very clear that she didn't understand why people wanted to imitate these two kids because they were failures they wanted an oklahoma city style bombing and uh if you read in the basement tapes that was their whole goal it was going to be bigger and better than the oklahoma city bombing they planted three bombs 20 in pound, the school right 20 pound bombs in the school at the internal pillars inside the cafeteria and one inside the kitchen and none of those go off because they were losers and they didn't and they didn't uh, set the timing device right. And they may, you know, they're just fucking idiots. That's I'm not this. This is what she this is a podcast. It's her perspective of it. So she they should be remembered as failures because once they realized the bombs hadn't gone off at 1119, they decided to just go ahead and cause as much havoc as they can. And uh, and then they died. Uh, like losers uh, after, you know, nothing worked to their plans. And um, and the whole accounts of there being a third shooter and, you know, all of that stuff is just, you know, they just want it to be bigger than it is. And that's the official, I mean, like, that's the official narrative to this day. If you read any of the, you know, newspapers or, you know, go online and read the accounts of the official uh, you know, decision of Jefferson County in the investigation. It was two shooters. They turns out trench coat mafia. They weren't a part of it. Had never been a part of it. So bullied kids end up lashing out right in this <laughs> Columbine shooting, and then now when we talk about it, we're gonna we're gonna continue to bully them. <laughs> like it's. Yeah. That's kind of messed up yeah. to me. Just <laughs> slam dunking on him. Just mm -hmm. yeah. man. Okay, so that's you know that's the official narrative is that there was two shooters. Um, they released a so these records were all classified and not allowed to be shown to the public. Um, and then a judge decreed that they had to wait two years. And then they decreed you had to wait like five years or something like that. And then it went to 25 years. And they kept delaying the release of these documents. So um, they did in 2017, I believe it was, or yeah, I think it was 2017. They did release 11,000 documents, which included years, which That's included um, heavily redacted names. Yeah. Um, you know, a lot of things just completely removed. Um, and so 
there's some very weird vibes I get from it. So we, you know, we were talking about the Las Vegas shooting and how there was no way it was just one person. I think we all determined that no matter what happened out there, it wasn't just one person. And it probably wasn't, uh, probably wasn't the dude that was laying dead on in the hotel floor that did it, you know? So I'm, you know, I was curious with the most influential shooting in school history that still 20 years later, you know, 20 plus years later is still being talked about even in the, you know, as a political driving movement for the voting class, which is the millennials who went through that, you know, all millennials will remember a icky feeling when they hear the word Columbine because of what happened that day. Um, that happened in a town. Now it's interesting. Like, uh, let me, you know, So, a poppy has been doing a little research on Columbine. <laughs> and uh, I think there's a lot more to Columbine, fellas, than that meets the eye. A lot more. Now, this is, this is according to the AP, when the Pentagon ordered construction of the nation's first intercontinental missile factory in a secluded canyon called Littleton. The factory is now owned by Lockheed Martin, where more than 10,000 employees, population 39,000, now build unmanned rocket satellites for telecommunications and space exploration, as well as classified military projects. Also in Littleton, National Digital Television Center, the research arm of the telecommunications industry. That's the press release from the AP News when the contract was released, what it would be used for. The Pentagon. <laughs> so that was in the 50s, right? When this was designed. Now we've talked about MK Ultra and mind control projects that were going on in the West Coast with Jolly West. And they were heavily using the Air Force as their arm to conduct these tests. And that's well documented as far as the type of uh, test Jolly West was involved in. And um, so that's an interesting factor. Now, the fact that Eric uh, Harris's father complained about getting headaches. Yeah. And if you remember uh, when we did the episode on, oh, what was that? What was that one? Shaver. When uh, the Shaver episode with the um, with the type of subject they were looking for, he went into the doctor to visit Jolly West for migraines. So that's just and that's a correlation, not causation. Just you know, some interesting background I think that should be known. Now, obviously, we have the testimony of Eric Harris's father, Wayne Harris, right? You know when they did investigations on him but there isn't it's uh it's still classified to this day the testimony is the testimony is still classified to this day and i stumbled across the interview of the guy that actually um <laughs> that actually uh interviewed him uh, and give me a second here to pull it up 
So what happened after the shooting is that parents sued the other parents, uh, you know, because that's just what we Americans do in a horrible tragedy is uh, we're, we're going to go sue the, uh, the parents that raise these horrible kids. <laughs> so, <laughs> and get what? I mean. <laughs> uh, um, give me a second here uh, while I get it. Yeah, that's a good question. Like, did the what happened to the parent to the parents? Like, I did they? I mean, I would assume they'd probably move away at the very least, right? Yeah, but you can't you can't shake that. I mean, <laughs> I mean, you yeah, know what I mean? Like, you could move you could move away in in stuff, but like, it was national. Yeah, like once, everybody. Once knew the about internet it. and everything got super popular, and you could just instantly plug that in, like you can't hide from it. You know what I mean? Like they're like, you're going to go start a new life in Bozeman, Montana, and you're going to meet somebody and they're just going to be like, Oh man, I, you know, blah, blah, blah. You're going to punch them into Google. You're going to get a list and they're like, Oh, that's, you know, yeah. like you can't, you can't run from that. I think it was like uh excite or Yahoo back then, but um, on the old Netscape navigator, but yeah, you're, you're right. Like the internet was just starting. Yeah. And like that was a like so yeah, like this that could be another good reason why this got such big attention is because it was one of the first things that many people knew about. Okay, before uh before we go into uh before we go into this, um we have uh, my girlfriend discovered these um uh, archived interviews with some of the witnesses which uh i started listening to because if so here is the here's the list right here of over over so i've heard claims of over a hundred but i've got written over 62 as they've been slow released out so up to 62, but according to other people, it's well over 100. So over 100 witnesses that day discuss a third shooter. When did they? Multiple shooters. Immediately Ooh. after uh, the shooting, they were being investigated by the police. So, and, and this is uh, just, uh, just a discussion of. Those are the uh, clips to get because you know when they interview the kids or whatever right off the bat, like a lot of them are just going to speak freely and not yes. really think, and and then those videos will disappear for the face of the earth oh, because yeah. it won't fit the narrative that they're pushing or that they want to they want us to all gobble down. Like um, kids yeah, don't know what to make up, so yeah, they're exactly. they're not going to make anything up. They're yeah. going to tell you exactly what they saw. So yeah, like that's that's gold. Because. Yeah, because the interviews I remember are just about the um, about the cafeteria book bags or whatever that were left like in random table. You know what I mean? Like I I can I could picture it in my head right now of a, a, a girl they interviewed and she noticed that um, that there was like random backpacks, you know, placed in the cafeteria, just random. like it was just it was odd. You know, and but at that age, like you're not processing. Hey, there's that. There's just a, a unmanned backpack by that pillar over there. Like you don't, 
you don't really think about it. You think maybe somebody set it down to go get, you know, breakfast pizza and, you know, we'll come back to it. You don't think that there's a fucking bomb in there ready to, ready to go. So. Well, uh, adults. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Well, I just want to, I want to read what some of these witnesses said, you know, besides us like theorizing Caitlin Sue place said it was redacted saying who she thought the shooter was. I'm almost positive of it. I remember looking him dead in the eye. He was in my debate class. Dylan kind of looked like Robert, but Dylan doesn't have the long face. Robert's teeth are messed up, and he was smiling, and I saw his teeth then. Kate said that she has seen pictures of Dylan Klebold and Eric Harris, and she said it's not one of them, referring to the person she saw shooting outside the comments. Um, this is from Lacey Smith saying... Uh, that she was 100% sure it was not Dylan Klebold that shot at, that she saw shooting. Uh, Brennan Hooker said that one of the person was six foot eight to six foot 11, very skinny, tight black pants, black trench coat. Um, I mean, there's just, there's pages and pages of not just like, ah, I'm not sure, uh, maybe, uh, no, like absolutely not. Eric Harris or Dylan Klebold. I mean, that's uh, six foot eleven. So what are they pawns? <laughs> yeah. Well, here's what's interesting. Uh, there was a lawyer uh, that was hired by one of the uh, mothers whose son had gotten shot. Now her son, uh, Mark Taylor, had gotten was in the library, got shot seven times with fifteen bullet wounds on his body right around his heart but all missing and somehow survives and like crazy you know absolutely crazy uh survives uh the shooting uh and well i they hire a lawyer to investigate eric harris and Dylan Klebold's parents because they want to see who they can sue, you know, essentially. And so they find a, a lawyer out of Lincoln, Nebraska, very famous lawyer, uh, was in the state Senate for uh, like 10 years. Uh, Well-respected. Uh, once he gets out of the state, he uh, goes after a huge lawsuit in Nebraska, which uh, we're going to discuss. But they hire this lawyer to come and do an investigation on the parents. And so he's the one that goes and do you guys remember the basement tapes? Do you know what those are? Those are, you know, whenever they're talking about it, they show them like out in the country shooting guns. Oh, or yeah. Like yeah. they're like walking around. And doing yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 Those are called the basement tapes. This lawyer, John DeCamp, is the one that finds these basement tapes and in his depositions of the parents. So he is and he's trying to find uh, an angle with pharmaceuticals because, you know, he figures they can sue pharmaceuticals for having these kids on medication. Well, that's interesting because I don't remember them ever bringing up the fact that Dylan Klebold and Eric Harris were on meds. Do you, you remember that? Nope. No. Well, and in his investigation, what he finds out is that a year prior, a year prior 
after the Columbine tragedy, the boys get in trouble with the law. Now, these boys have been friends since middle school. Uh, so, they, you know, it gives you an idea. They've grown up through middle school into high school. They're of graduating age now, 17, 18. Um, the trench coat mafia that had been roaming through the halls of Columbine prior to that, um, like I think half of them uh, graduated. And uh, so, you know, the group had, you know, gotten quite smaller. And these boys were very much involved with the trench coat mafia. Um, let me see here. Uh, yeah, so they're very much in, let's see here. I want to get you uh, an idea of a person that was there instead of me just telling you. Uh, so you guys talk about this. I'm going to um, get an audio clip pulled up here because I don't have it uh, up because I'm not a, not a pro. <laughs> this church coat mafia i'll have to i don't so this was i mean what was this this was just a, a group in this trench coat, that's what they made it seem like but it turns out that this trench coat mafia it was widespread especially in germany like if you guys google trench coat mafia in germany like this was very much a thing in the mid 90s and so uh, it now, I, I don't know about the links between that or what that, you know, what that necessarily means yeah. as far as the Columbine group. But we know that, uh, you know, there's a lot of social testing going on in Germany uh, by us when uh, they got to be their own country again. It was sort of the deal as we got to you know, keep all of our secret bases there and, you know, sort of a launch pad into uh, social testing into other countries. Um, remember in the uh, MK Ultra episode we did, the whole reason they started doing these studies was because they had developed ITNT, which was a spy network through uh, Eastern Europe based out of Germany. And it was the Hungarians that arrested two people that were actually CIA operatives uh, running tests. And uh, for some reason, they didn't let those guys testify at all. And uh, because of that, um, uh, they uh, testified that they were spies and they had been you know, conducting these tests based off of LSD. And it freaked out the government because they were wondering how the, they could get those guys to tell the truth. And they started the whole MK Ultra project where you could transfer, you know, secret messages and all that stuff. You know, I mean, we went down that wormhole a while ago. But what what I'd found interesting about it. Oh, God, dang it. Let me. Uh, I got distracted here. You guys go. Go ahead and talk. Well, so I was just I, I was just curious if it was kind of like a. A fad or a group, you know, like, a, you know, like I remember. You know, this is way off topic, but like Backstreet Boys and NSYNC was cool. Everyone was dressing like them. And like you could yeah. see in like the school, like that's what, you know, that's what people were doing. So that's why I didn't know if this trench coat thing was like a worldwide spread thing where it was just like every kind of place had their own little, you know, following or, or small cult in a sense. Because um, I don't I don't remember hearing much or. You know, in my school, 
in the school I went to, it was mostly like afterwards, like after people started hearing about it, then they, then they started saying like that they were affiliated with the trench coat mafia and stuff. But it was okay. Okay. So here is Gent. I I appreciate you guys feeling time because I was like, I know I have it. (laughs) I don't know where it is. I have a meltdown. Uh, no. So, uh, this lady is uh, Jen Thompson. Uh, she's one of the survivors. Uh, survivors in the... She wasn't in the library. She was in the science room, which was adjacent to the library. So just to give you an idea of where um, where she was located. So I would feel like she would be considered a fair witness, don't you? Okay, so this is her account of how she remembers high school being with supposedly the trench coat mafia that doesn't exist. So any new report, CNN did a report to Columbine 20 years later, miss that, uh, you know, were later proved false. And every single one of these type of articles I found online said they were not part of the trench coat mafia. All right, I'm going to play this clip. Uh, Let me know. Um, if you guys can uh, hear it. Yeah, thank you so much for coming on the show. Because we were even talking off the air. I know how difficult this can to go back and recall these traumatic memories. Um, not just before the show, then during the show, but then it sticks with you even after the show, too. So we really, we said both said this is so important for the audience to know. So thank you so much for coming on the show. This is uh, the Operman report. Uh, he was able to get an interview with her, and I Listen to Thank it. you for having me. It's a pleasure to, you know, have the opportunity to share the truth. Yeah. So before we get into Columbine, tell us about yourself. Who is Jen Thompson? Well, I'm a 39-year-old mom and wife. I've got a little single miracle baby uh, living out in the outskirts of Parker, Colorado. I was born and raised in Littleton and grew up in a house right across the street from Columbine. Ooh, right across the street. Wow. That then that's boy, then it really never ended, right? You had that memory going on every day, so you moved, I guess. Yeah, it, it was especially while the media was around Columbine, they were right over and around my house as well for several months. Oh my god. It never ended. It never ended. Uh, before before the, that tragic day of the shooting, um did you know any of these people involved? I knew their faces, and I had had some brief encounters with some of them. Like Dylan and Eric would single come out individually to the smokers pit, where I would hang out frequently with many of my friends. When they would come out, they would be by themselves, and they would hang out uh, along the fence, so they were away from the group. They would Dylan would come out; he would never talk to anybody. Eric, he might say a few words and things, but, you know, he, he would usually pretty well keep to himself. There was a time where I tried to approach the whole trench coat group um, when they were collected at the end of the hallway. They had this special place they would always meet up with each other. And I went over to their group and I tried to talk to them and they acted like they were too good for me. Even though I'm wearing all black and I'm an art student and I'm, you know, into similar music and things and they shun me. 
there was also a time where I was walking down uh, the middle hallway where most people didn't like using that hallway. So there wasn't generally a lot of people in that hallway at any time. I was walking to the south and Dylan was walking to the north and I saw that he was dressed similarly to me, you know, wearing all black and probably in the same music. So I smiled at him thinking I could befriend him. And he looked at me like he wanted to kill me. So, uh, does that sound like they weren't part of the trench coat mafia guys? No, it sounds like they were, uh, pretty active. Yeah. They were invested. Yeah. Why would they lie about that? Now that's obviously there's other interviews that talk about this trench coat mafia, even when Wayne Harris calls in to the police saying he believes it's his son the reason he says he believes it's his son is because he's part of the trench coat mafia hmm. so uh that's the first thing i see that's like well that doesn't make any sense uh obviously to me uh and then uh, if we dive in uh, a little bit more into this uh, Jen Thomas interview, she talks about um, she has John DeCamp on this radio show. Or No, that's Donna Taylor. Sorry, I'm looking at the wrong one. Uh, she talks about, uh, let me take a look at this clip on 14. Um, give me a second here. I got these roughly clipped out, but I just, you know, I want to get your guys reaction because this is sort of the wormhole I've gone down uh, with these uh, with this whole well, point where you don't look like a crazy person. Girl told other people afterward. afterward yes, yeah. I don't it was time to ditch hmm. because the quote said in German, prepare yourselves for you're all going to die today. Wow. And she never told anybody else. Oh, she the, um, this is the morning of, of the shooting. It turns out that Dylan and Eric did the morning announcements uh, every morning. Now, does that sound like someone who's like bullied and secluded? Anti-social people aren't going to, you would think, would not want to partake in anything like that. Usually with the people, so I remember in high school, the people who did the morning announcements were, your social butterfly, your, you know, your friendly yearbook staff. I, you know what I mean? Like it wasn't people that didn't want anybody to look at them or talk to them or give them the time of day. Like it's, I mean, it's yeah. kind of, it's kind of odd that, um, that these would be your morning announcement folks. Uh, so this was the morning announcement uh, of the day of the shooting. So April 20th, um, 1999. Uh, do you guys 420? Obviously, everyone thinks about weed. Um, but uh, do you also know what 420 stands for? No, uh, it is Hitler's birthday. People were behind those walls doing something, right? Right now, now, now what about though this group again, the trench coat group? Uh, did they have families that were in law enforcement and the military and stuff like that? Uh, I did, I wasn't told until afterward that, um, I don't have it officially, but I've had other people tell me that they had heard the same 
interesting that um, Eric's uncle, his dad's brother, was a firefighter. And I want to say it was for like Arvada, somewhere up there. She cut out there a little bit. Yeah, you, you really broke up there. Uh, are you there? Okay. Yeah, you really. Okay. Yeah. You, you said something about Arvada. That, uh... Okay. His, uh, so uh, I had heard that uh, Eric had an uncle. His dad's brother was a firefighter for Arvada, which is just north of Denver, uh, the metro area. So, you know, 20 minutes from Denver. Now, now, what about this, uh, the, the multimedia, this uh, film uh, group? Now, was that dominated by the trench coat group? It was dominated mainly by Dylan and Eric because they were in this special class for it. Hmm. They were also um, in charge of the daily announcements that came over. It was a video that came over everybody's TV in every classroom for about five minutes every uh, Tuesday morning. And... Uh, <laughs> It had said, or that Tuesday morning, the uh, quote of the day after all the announcements are made, there's always a quote of the day. And for Tuesday, April 20th, it was in German. And only the German exchange student knew what it said. She told me later on, she was, you know, very adamant about never ditching or anything because she was an exchange student. She didn't want to ruin what she had going. And so when she saw that, um, that quote, then she decided it was time to ditch hmm. because the quote said in German, prepare yourselves for you're all going to die today. Wow. Like you would think stuff like that would be looked over, right? By like administration before they pump it out to, you know, the school. So I, this, that's just kind of odd, like that, that nobody caught that. Because in high school, what you could learn Spanish or German, or you could take those those classes. I, I'm I'm really surprised that nobody checked that and and gave them the red light or green light. I mean, obviously they gave them the green light to to go ahead and and put that out there. But and then it goes to do you rely on the exchange student to uh, you know buy into what she's saying? You know, like that's. That's just wild. I mean, I, I yeah, that's. Uh, Did they interview the German foreign exchange student? Because they were obviously like, well, I'm out. Yeah. <laughs> you guys she, have a good one. She said afterwards, she didn't tell anyone, but she felt regret she didn't. But she was like, didn't know how to, you know, how do you communicate that? And what if you're wrong? You know, and you, want to see, you know, they're high schoolers, like not fully emotionally developed people yet you know and she's in a whole nother country so she's probably like these what the fuck these americans are fucking crazy but it's just so weird that like even like with this and then with the las vegas shooting with the lady trying to warn people like that 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 you know people are about to die and you just kind of you know as us humans we're like yeah like do you take that and run with the panic or do you just you brush it off like oh uh, that you know she just she finally got some rocky mountain high in her and you know it is what it is but it's i mean that's that's wild and two i would hate if if it is true you know and whatnot i would hate to live with that to know that oh, you yeah. can translate that and understand what that is and you just you know like you you thought of yourself which you know 
you know, hey, you understand it, so you know that it's time, it's it's time to peace. But then the fact that you didn't you didn't try to tell anybody, um, that that would be tough to live with because even if you did tell people and nobody nobody listened because they were just thought you were, you know, BSing or trying to blow smoke, like that's tough. That I would not want to be her. Uh, I no, I'm not. I'm not no. walking a mile in those shoes. Yeah. Yeah, well, and it uh, also is, it also is an instance too where, I mean, there's so the the once again the trench coat mafia she brings up, so like they were in a special class for it. Did you know she said that? I miss that. They're in a special class. Yeah, she said yeah something about them being in a special class. Um. And like I said, this is the uh, Offerman report, so feel free to go and take a look at it. Um, and then, like this whole, so th- they lie. They're currently lying. Uh, they're currently lying about the um, the whole trench coat mafia, saying that they didn't do another part of the trench coat mafia. Uh, you know, they weren't even in the class picture of '98. Well, the, I mean, I think. I think the class picture of 98 isn't the same as what would have been 99. And the fact that they were walking around, hanging out, you know, dressing as trench coat mafia. Um, man, it, it, why would you lie about that? You know, was this, was the group looked at like a theatrical group or like, cause I mean, it kind of, that's, that's, that's kind of where I'm going with it with the late, with a, um, with her saying that, you know, she was a, she felt like she would fit in because she was in theater, she was or an art student, and she, yeah, she was really, she was in art and she wore Inside black and metal. listened to that music, yeah. Uh, Pretty yeah. much the goth, remember? Yeah, you know, like that the goth, but I don't understand because here, like, we love to, we love to associate everything with a group. Why? Why are we? Why aren't they? Oh yeah, it is the trench coat. Why are they so adamant on no, 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 no? Like it is not the trench coat. That's what I'm not. I'm not grasping here. Is why, like normally, they want to. If it's you know nine eleven or this or that, it's it's always it's always a group. They want to hurry up and assign it to somebody or something. And for here, they're like, they don't even want to touch it with a ten foot pole on this trench coat mafia. And the second narrative is that they were unpopular and bullied. Now, here's a part of the basement tapes. Very few selected. Like, never be like, hey, what's up? You know, like, yeah, I mean, does that look like a group of kids? Yeah, cool, man. How cute would they be? They're in seven layer burritos. Shut up. She had seven layer burritos. And then she fell asleep on her break. And she ate this earlier burrito right before her break. She woke up because her mouth was bleeding like a break. Oh my god, I don't want to. I'm falling asleep when you listen to I'm just I'm I'm playing those to give you an an idea of, you know, these are supposedly, you know, the months leading up to this ferocious attack do we feel like 
these kids are on like super unpopular and being bullied at school well so those tapes are of dylan and the other kid like videotaping their classmates Mm -hmm. yep yeah that doesn't seem like anti-social don't fucking look at me don't don't come my way that's that seems like you know that seems very kind of friendly um you know well, yeah, because I remember when you walk up, classmates. Yeah, you walk up to like uh, a group that you're not used to conversating with, and it's not like they're going to reject you, but you know, most people are going to look at you. It's going to get quiet. They're going to be like, "Yeah, what's hey?" But what's they didn't the camera, yeah. right? But these kids, they didn't miss a beat. They carried on with their conversation as if they were always there. The like they were interacting. They were looking back. You know, one dude smiled. I mean, yeah, yeah, like it's, it's, he smiles at the person behind the camera, not even the camera. Like, so obviously comfortable. Mm -hmm. Uh, that's a lot different than, uh, you know, what we're going to hear. And we're going to play Jen Taylor's account of her experience in the library that, that day and, um, her perspective. Um, uh, give me a sec here. Pull it up. Boop. There you go. My way to class, I saw Isaiah Schultz for the very last time. He and I are both short, so he was waving across the crowded hallway, standing on his tiptoes. I went into class, started to take the test, and a few minutes into the test, it's probably about 11.15 is when that class started. So 11.20-ish, uh, one of the teachers comes up to our door. We have two doors to the classroom, and I'm sitting next to the front one. And the teacher, Mrs. Miller, knocks on the taps on the glass and gives the teacher the come here finger because his desk is straight <laughs> from that door. He runs out. He leaves. He, he went to go tell others and warn others, but he just left us. Wow. <laughs> so, um, already bet. I don't mean to laugh, but I mean, teacher just like, was like, peace. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then we were trapped in there from 1120 till 257. Now, uh, I, I had prepared mentally for this, somehow some way my intuition told me to so I was being super vigilant I was not letting the fear take over when you know the fire alarm went off and uh, the stampede of people came up from the cafeteria just before the fire alarm goes off and we're hearing all people this is the time of year for senior pranks it's probably Mm. what's going on but as soon as we heard that fire alarm, we're like, okay, maybe not. Maybe it's not. Maybe should we be running too? So I go out in the hallway to see if we should be running out of the building as well. And the teacher that had asked Mr. My, Mr. Peterson, my teacher, to come out, Mrs. Miller, she's at the end of the hallway about 25 feet. She said, get back in the classroom and hide. I'm going to lock your doors. So... I go back in the classroom with the two boys that had followed me into the hallway and tell the rest of our class, you know, there's supposedly there's guys with guns and we need to hide. They're going to lock our doors. We need to get down. And so we went into the back 
corner of the room where it can join with another classroom. So we had two classes kind of huddled together on the floor and we weren't really hiding. So um, we started flipping tables. It was science class. So we had big tables that were like five feet by three feet. So we made a barricade with the table so that anybody that walked by our hall in the hallway couldn't look into our doors and just see us sitting there. Now, whose idea was that? Did certain kids take up leadership positions and say, hey, let's do this? Help make a barricade. I remember mm-hmm. him saying, you know, help her do this because nobody else, everybody else was like deer in headlights. All right. Every, most people just froze up. They didn't know what to do. They were just terrified and, you know, silent. So nobody really wanted to take over. They, we had three teachers that were all on the other side of the door. So my group, my class, didn't really have a teacher watching over them. The teachers that were, you know, present in our group that were on the other side of the door were more concerned with Mr. Sanders because as soon as the teacher had locked our doors to the hallway, Mr. Sanders had gone by, and I had looked out the second hallway door window and saw a trail of blood Mm. that led to that classroom. So, of course, the gunman could follow that trail. And- so, uh, um, Mr. Sanders is the teacher that died in Columbine. He bled out. Uh, was he the one that left? He was the one that left the room, right? No, that was a different teacher. But Mr. Sanders was the one that got shot. And... Uh, in the back as he was going down the hall and there's i don't know if you guys remember the signs on the windows on the you know in the media where the kids had held up signs you know help you know uh bleeding out you know dying person dying inside uh it took him like two and a half hours to die so and like there was students that were trying to pack his wounds and stop the bleeding and you know um, what's interesting is the time response the kids kill themselves at 120 I can't remember 1209 something around there around 12 o'clock and then it's another two and a half three hours before the SWAT team shows up and gets them out not that they're not there they're there for the whole four or five hours, but none of them want to enter. You know, they're like taking sniper positions and taking pot shots at the kids or not at the, you know, not the students, but, you know, at the shooters, uh, supposedly. Um, so Are they trying to set the stage? Well, and the excuse was <laughs> that there was bombs. You know, a bomb had gone off on the highway uh, and these kids had brought over 90 bombs to school. They were loaded with bombs. Uh, and uh, we'll, we'll, she confirms this in her, uh, and they knew that. And so the whole reason they didn't want to go in is because it could be unsafe. It could be booby-trapped. And it was booby-trapped. The entire school had been booby-trapped. So that's curious in on of its own and then the vehicles that they had parked that morning had been filled with explosives and set to detonate and one goes off at 11 18 p.m so they had no real like 
targets in mind. This was just a matter of like, I want to try and I want to have as much destruction and as I can, essentially. Well, uh, I'll, sh- yes. Yep. And Jen Thompson sort of gives that idea. She's watching this unfold from her science room. And they did. Because uh, later on, I was looking in between the tables to look out the hallway. I was, you know, looking at my classroom, what was going on. I was looking out the window, trying to be vigilant. And I would peek in between the tables, you know, like sincerely felt like a little spy because, you know, I'm looking through the slit in between the tables. And I see these people outside my classroom. I see Dylan and he's got his back to me. And he's kind of like, kind of like bouncing around, agitated and upset. And then another person comes up to talk to him. As soon as I saw this other person, I thought, this is help. We're being saved. This looks like some guy in the military. It looked like a cop had taken off his uniform and just had his white T-shirt on to be less intimidating. And I'm telling my group, I think it's over now. I think we're being saved. This is just uh, before noon at 1145. Yeah, great. Let me stop you there. Let me stop you there. You saw Dylan. Now, this other gentleman you saw, uh, was he older than Dylan? He was much older, yes. I want to say he was in his late 20s to early 30s. I thought he was a police officer or somebody who had been in the military because of his thick neck and muscles and his buzz cut. Gotcha. Now, what about any paraphernalia, like any kind of gear? He, um, the reason why I knew he wasn't help was because when he was talking to Dylan, he held up his hands at one point to say, I don't know. And he was holding a sawed off shotgun with a tan handle. And that's when I told my friends, you know, my group, my heart sank that this isn't help. That he's, he's one of the gunmen. There's more than one. And and this wasn't someone who was like from the school that was part of this trench coat group. No, definitely not. This is not anybody I had ever seen before, and I had just seen Eric. Right. I had seen Eric at eleven oh five, eleven ten, and this was at eleven forty five. Yeah, I know it was definitely not Eric. So there was somebody else with them, like a an adult. There's witness accounts that said that there was five men on top of the hill and one of them older gentleman was yelling go 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 as they went into the cafeteria and then through the uh, uh backside entrance there now, really? now you're asking yourself well you know why didn't uh why didn't uh you know she uh come forward with this testimony you know, like, or yeah. why wasn't this, uh, why wasn't this discussed, I guess. Uh, so, um, I'll, uh, move it up. It, well, actually, you know, I feel like just out of respect, maybe if you guys want, I can stop playing it. Otherwise I can uh, play a little bit more of what she experiences in the hallway there. Uh, yeah, the okay. okay. All right. Okay. So, and what were Eric and Dylan wearing? Were they wearing t-shirts as well? What were they wearing? Um, Eric was actually wearing... Once again, this is Opperman Report. Uh, if you want to listen to the whole interview, 
uh, great, uh, great interview. A white t-shirt, the same kind of style, white short sleeve, no pocket, just a regular undershirt. But Eric had, what is that called? The gun straps? Right. Like around his shoulders. So he would have that black stripe on the front of his chest. This guy didn't have that. This guy was also so buff that his sleeves on his arms were tight around his muscles. Now, if you look at any pictures of Eric that day, you can see the gun straps that he's wearing. And you can also see how baggy the T-shirt is on his arms. Hmm. It is not the same person. Well, clearly, yeah, this memory is burned into your, your memory, this uh, this vision here. So there's no doubt about that. Oh, okay, so th- and then what happened? Did you see where this third person went? Uh, well, they were talking about wanting to get into the the classroom because of the trail of blood, and they were using the butts of their guns to try and break the handle, and that wasn't working, and they didn't want to shoot it because of the metal handle and the, the shrapnel, so they decided to leave a pipe bomb mm. there and run off. They ran down, uh, further down in the south side. Mm. That's the kids? Yeah, that's the kids right there. She's talking about the picture. Period. But if you go to the right, then you'll just go down the main part of the science wing. And that's where they went down to just get away from the bomb because it actually went off. Right. It set, the fi- set it on fire and everything. And thankfully, I was paying attention to that. And I told Mrs. Miller about it. Mrs. Miller wonderful, wonderful person. I, I don't know what I would have done that day without her. She literally saved our lives. Mr. Sanders, he warned us first. Oh, you're right. Got to give him lots of praise. He saved hundreds of people, but Mrs. Miller, she really helped us so much by locking the doors. And then she also went out and took the huge fire extinguisher and put out the pipe bomb fire before the boys came back Mm -hmm. and got back to safety. Incredible. She, she was amazing. Let me interrupt you. That, that is amazing. Let me let me interrupt you now. Okay. Now you saw this gentleman in the white shirt uh, with the muscles. Okay. Now what about the people around you? Did anybody else? Did you? Did, did you? Did anybody else acknowledge this third person? What about Mrs. Miller, Mr. Sanders? Did anybody else acknowledge this third person? There were other students that were with me that were sitting next to me. I believe John and I thought like Kyle Gumry and Aaron Walton. These people, when I said that there was somebody out there that looked like help, you know, they wanted to see as well. So Mm. they looked out in between the tables and they saw this person as well. Mr. Sanders, he didn't really talk. Uh, the only thing that I ever heard uh, that he had said was uh, at 1.30 p.m., I asked how he was doing, and they said he's not doing so well. We pulled out some pictures of his family out of his wallet, and he just said, tell my girls I love them. Uh, quite uh, quite the eyewitness account, especially to have all that going on in the room right next to you, you know? Um is she the only one, interview-wise, um, that you've been able to find that that talks about this third shooter? No. Or so no, there's no. multiple people. No, there's over uh, sixty-three uh, on record that I can find. I know, but I that describe that him in the same manner, so we know that it's you know that he's been seen multiple times. Not like the, the another person's going to be like, well, he was 
he was tall and skinny without muscles. Or I mean, I guess if there was more than three Robert, and there was Robert, sort of five. You know, Robert Perry fits that description. A lot of people describe a third person as Robert Perry, uh, who had um so it's the belief is um Eric Harris, Dylan Klebold, Robert Perry, Chris Watts. Uh, it's all allegedly, you know, uh, Robert Perry was detained and then released by the police. And then there was um, a group of older, not older men when I say, but like older in the sense of high schoolers, not high schoolers, but like in their mid 20s that were um, uh, seen outside by one of the parks. And what's interesting about some of this is that there is a three hour wait before police or SWAT enters. Uh, uh, so in between that three hours, I mean, doesn't that just sort of feel like Las Vegas where they're just sitting there for an extended period of time? Baldi. I mean, it all is just Baldi. Yeah. Like it's, I don't understand. You, you take an oath to protect and serve, but like, Knowing that, you know, like you could die, right? But that is kind of that's that's part of this the fine print. And then you don't you don't do it, you just kind of sit on your hands. Like you already signed up for this, got into this knowing that your day might come, you know, and you're you're you know, you could die. And you're supposed to protect and serve. So if you have to protect and you become a casualty in protecting these young people like i mean that's the trade-off unfortunately but just to to sit pat to sit still to be like you know fuck the youth you know like what are we doing here uh, <laughs> it gets worse uh this is her account of um, uh, telling the sheriff's department what she saw that day Is it playing? Yeah, I don't hear anything. Corey, we don't hear anything. Oh, you don't hear anything? No. Oh, thank you. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I was like, um... I, bet I forgot to add it back in. Thank you. Thank you for uh, letting me know. Okay. Um, okay. uh, so she's talking about how when they took her out of the high school, um, they didn't cover any of the dead bodies. Um, and they brought them to the cafeteria and then they had to walk out and she didn't have shoes on. So, um, like she was going to step on broken glass. So they had to piggyback her. Um, anyway, it's, uh, yeah. That's where we're well, at. let me ask you a question. Oh, sorry. Now, is your experience since this day in dealing with the authorities and their, their unwillingness to accept your story, do you think it's possible that they did this to traumatize you further, that you would forget what you saw? I don't know. I, I That's an interesting way of looking at it. I've never thought of it like that, really. Uh, I think that they were just set on having their official report 
to have everybody on the same page in the report saying the same things hmm. because and they tried to convince over 100 people that they didn't see people that they saw that day. So I wasn't the only one. But they wanted it. It was interesting because they would come to my house and do, you know, their interviews with me and show me photo lineups. And the third time that I talked to them, they asked me to come down to the station. And looking back, I understand why they did that, because they had me go through my statement. And then they insisted that I change my story, hmm. that I didn't see Robert bring in the duffel bag and that I didn't see this other person, this uh now, military-looking guy, it was definitely Eric in their narrative. And then I'm sitting there with my mom. I'm 15 years old, you know, and my mom is asking them why, you know, why why are you so adamant that she changes her story when she knows what she saw and she's trying to tell you what she saw? And how she also mentioned how um, the cafeteria videos got leaked to the media when it was only in the police's custody. So... There's a part in the final report from one of the investigators who wrote, it seemed as though Nancy and Jennifer questioned the credibility of the Jefferson County Sheriff's Department. And uh, yeah, we did. We, we most definitely did. Because when I went into that station that day, when I wouldn't change my story, that officer got really upset. He was mad at me. He was trying to intimidate me and tell me later on after a traumatizing situation, it's hard to admit when you're wrong. Mm. And then another cop overheard that I wasn't going to change my story. So he came over to back up his buddy to try and pressure me some more. And my mom and I weren't having it. Oh, I, I was, they had told me I was one of their most credible witnesses that day. In the three and a half hours that I was trapped inside the school, they Everything that I say happened, they had evidence to back it up happening within two minutes of when I said it happened. But I didn't see this guy or this guy. You know, this may be a little, um, no, I don't think it's off topic. Like, it, it makes me, like, hearing this, it makes me question, like, with school shootings today, is there a correlation with school like the cell phone policy because i feel like in today's world if something like this were to happen mm. many students have cell phones and a lot of this stuff would have been recorded but it made me think like listening to her talk like do like unfortunately school shootings still happen today there is a you know most recent one that i remember i don't uh was that uh jewish school and like it it makes me wonder like is this like are the schools that are being targeted like is there cell phone policy like no cell phones allowed like is does that determine like the age and and i don't know it just makes me think like you know because i feel like if there's a high school or a school like this that this were to happen to again they would have a lot more evidence because kids would grab their cell phone and start recording like you know what i mean I mean, if you do look at it, I mean, that Nashville shooting was, was, was young kids, like no. Yeah. Type, like they like wouldn't, was, they wouldn't have cell phones. No. That's what I mean. Like does does that now have some sort of like backing? Like, is that. That's kind of wild. I mean. We're going to. Um, no footage. You can paint your own picture. 
that's exactly. uh, that's exactly. a very, yeah that's very interesting that's very i mean obviously like distraction for kids in school you know you want them playing on their phones but uh it would hamper and also uh, does it explain why the shootings are happening to a younger generation of kids these are high schoolers now we're hitting middle schools well that goes back to what what clement said is is if you hit the middle schooler and the elementary school there's no other side proof it's what they want to push out and what they want to send because middle schoolers elementary kids like yeah some of them might have cell phones but they're not like they're not going to think to pull it out like if they were 16 or 15 through 18 or 17 in high school you're gonna you're gonna go live on it right off the bat like a middle school and elementary school all panic all that sets in. this isn't a tiktok you're filming like this is this is sure chaos, and it's just you know. Could you imagine the views? Like, if you went live during a school shooting, how many like you would have millions of people like like tuning into that like that live event? That's what I'm saying. Like, if you have a, you know, to your point, yeah, in middle school or elementary school, they're not going to be like, hey, TikTok live. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um. So now I'm going to shift uh, pages a little bit here. So we're seeing inconsistencies from, and this is granted, I'm just sharing Jen Thompson's uh, version of events that day. So obviously there are other people's perspectives on what happened that day as well and uh, what they saw happen. Um, it's interesting that the, the boys, uh, when they killed themselves, um, supposedly they were strapped with bombs. So I find that odd that they would kill themselves before they I were didn't see any bombs on those pictures either. It, they were completely out of ammo though. Like I mean, like it just doesn't seem like you would you'd think you'd keep going until you couldn't go anymore. Yeah. And um uh, one of the mothers of the child, Mark Taylor, who was shot seven times um did her due diligence in investigating what the hell happened in columbine and so she's been on a couple of shows you know back in the early 2000s and 2010s um and mark andrew has uh it's very interesting the history you learn because this is not a huge town and so like these parents know each other and they have you know um i believe it was eric harris had gotten in trouble with one of the boys and said he'd kill him. And uh, the parents got all pissed. And so they called the cops and they're like, listen, these boys, you know, you need to do something. Uh, and I caught uh, in the interview, like they were talking to the mom and she's like, we told the sheriff's department about uh, Eric Harris's webpage uh, two years prior to the Columbine shooting. And in there, he talked about, um you know you know all sorts of things but one thing that stood out to the most was that he was like and fuck you if you're a racist if you're a racist i wish you would get pregnant by someone you're racist against and then have to raise that child now it, to me it's felt like all of this testimony was that they were the racists so they just, you know, there's these weird things from his website that don't line up. 
but there's a key pivot moment in both of those boys' life. And it happens exactly a year before this shooting. And what happens is they get detained for breaking in to a work van uh, that belonged to an alarm agency. And they break into this work van. Uh, they get caught by the cops. And they don't get thrown into, like, jail for the night or anything like that. Um, but they do get assigned to counseling and uh, having to go to therapy and then having to write an apology letter. So pretty, you know, pretty easy sentence, wouldn't you say, for something like that? And then you read in the personal library, and the guy goes, uh, he said, uh, uh, it was Eric Harris's diary, you know, in his own personal notes, not the apology note, uh, you know, I should be able to steal whatever I want and fuck those guys and, you know, no remorse whatsoever. Um, and then, um, uh, well, I'll just tell you, we'll, we'll go to this here. I'll add this to the, this is Donna Taylor. Uh, she's talking with the lawyer she had hired, John DeCamp, on the James Freeland show. This is 2011. Why would they be stealing them from us? And so this this was a, a crime in itself to have uh, kept all these files from the families that had dead and injured children. You know, they, they continue to go on. A number of them that still don't know this still go on why their children are dead. So they sealed a bunch of records uh, about these kids' past, which is very interesting. Well, the, the truth is so horrible that some of them don't even want to know the truth, and you probably won't. Uh, but in this case, the truth is that the shooters at Columbine had been raped during arrest. And then they were put on psychotropic drugs to try to control them. Right. And what and, I heard uh, was that, that it's not an isolated case in Colorado, that there's, I'm not going to call it an epidemic of official rapes, uh, but um, I, I have heard that. It happens more well, often. Than I, I can prove believe. that it's epidemic. Uh, we've gone on to do background, and uh, our background is even worse than that. Uh, we've learned that child trafficking going on in the county, uh, people that are killed satanically by the child traffickers, uh, has a little to do with. Uh, we haven't been able to completely do our investigation, uh, but in the case of the Jomini Ramsey, uh, we see there's connections there. Uh, it's uh, somewhat what John DeCamp uh, wrote about years ago in the Franklin cover-up. Right, the Boy Scouts, uh, Franklin cover-up. Yeah, and, and lately we, we get to witness the Boy Scouts doing the same thing. It's institutional protection of pedophilic rapists. Yeah, I mean, I'd be interested to hear what he has to say about... Uh, about He's going to be on, uh, Donna. So, so the two boys were raped? By who? <laughs> The belief is is that these two boys um, had been raped by the sheriff's department in Jefferson County and were being used as sex slaves. And um, I'm going to share you I, this. I, have what you ever heard? Fuck? How do you draw that short straw? What in the fudge? 
Um, we're going to go to uh, back to the basement tapes. Now, mind you, the basement tapes have now been completely destroyed. Um, and uh, there is only a transcript that is left remaining. So um, there's no more basement tapes. Uh, there are little clippets of it, and then transcripts are only left. <clears throat> Which to me, why why would you destroy them? Why did why is it get why is that allowed to be destroyed? I mean, am, am I wrong thinking here, gentlemen? What I mean, what's your opinions on that when you hear something like that? I mean, why would you want to keep it out there? Because you know, as technology gets better and people like you know dive into this stuff, you want to you want to give the people that will hunt this and figure it out. You don't want to give them crumbs. You want to you want to blast this all the way. So when people do get interested in it and want to you know want to get awaken or whatever you want to call it and they want to really dive in and start connecting the larger dots you don't want to give you don't want to give those because these people won't stop they will want to bring this whole thing down and save the children save the world we live in make it right it, why i mean it makes sense to get rid of all of that like you don't be you know, I'm not thinking they thought like that, but I mean, it makes sense nowadays where if if they don't make everything redacted or make everything disappear where it's impossible to find because they still control the Internet and everything else. Like there are people that just live for this and do want to try to, you know, figure out these these scumbags. So, I mean, it makes sense to get to get rid of all of this. Um, so this is interesting. So this is video from the basement tapes and I, I want you to give it a listen here because this is part of that whole, I, you know, they, they're their own little class and obviously they had access to video cameras, uh, to record things. And it was very common. Uh, a lot of the interviews talk about this role playing that they would do throughout the year. So this is one of their role playing videos, uh, it's been classified as here they were planning to shoot up the school but i actually sat down and watched the video and to, because i wanted to see it it's like a cheesy obviously type of high school video that you would make with your buddies and watch the premise of this now this is called the hitman so this is a story about the hitman being hired uh and this is them going to their uh client right here um let me see. Uh, is it? Can can you hear it? Or is, can you see it on the screen? Yeah. Okay. All right. Here we go. There's like a slow walk of them coming in. Eric Harris and Dylan. You guys hear cops right there? We don't Watch hear anything. This is okay. Uh, so this is, uh, yeah, here. So this is the very intro into them talking to the guy that's hiring these two guys who are the hitmen. Okay. And it, the audio is completely muted. So you hear absolutely nothing uh, until they walk up to these guys. And there's this weird music that just sort of blurs out, uh, what exactly they say. But, uh, tell me if you hear them say cops.
guys hear that? Yep. Yep. All right. I'll pay anything. To me, that sounds like uh, uh, we hear you want to kill cops. You know we can't have weapons on school grounds. That, that's fine. Uh, that uh, that worked out well. That policy. And I'll, I'll get him off the property. All right, we'll protect you on school then. Take away any bullies that are picking on you, whatever. And off school grounds, we can relocate this person. That'd be a thousand dollars. Okay, so that's the uh, the premise. Now, I'm, I could be completely off, you know. Uh, I'm not, uh, you know, it, to me, that's sort of what the premise sounds like. What about to you guys? Well, they definitely sound confident in the fact that, like, if they were being bullied, they're playing the parts of someone eradicating the bullies. Yep. So I don't think that they are two individuals that are worried about being bullied. Uh, here is They're like a messed up, uh, vigilante or, or yeah. Now here is, uh, them talking to the person who's bullying them. And I mean, uh, we'll, uh, yeah, you'll just have to. Thank you so much. Goddamn piece of punk ass shit. Do not mess with that freaking kid. If you do, I'll rip off your goddamn head and shove it so far up your freaking ass, you'll be coughing up dandruff for four freaking months. I don't care what you say. If you ever touch him again, I will freaking kill you. I'm going to pull out a goddamn shotgun and blow your damn head off. Do you understand? You're going to throw some serious threats, but you can't swear. Like, <laughs> yeah. uh, well, I just, you know, it sounds to me like something you would say to a rapist, doesn't it? What's oh, interesting yeah. is that the principal of Columbine uh, was good friends and went to school in Georgetown with uh, Bill Clinton, <laughs> as well as the. Uh, well, don't take my word for it. Uh, take, uh, let's see, we'll, we'll share another clip because I feel I like. I did not inhale. <laughs> uh, let's see here. We'll uh, share this tab, add to stream. All right, this is uh, Clinton and the principal. Why didn't the principal get shot and hurt? How did he avoid everything? Where, uh, the principal and Mr. Clinton, you know, were good friends the year before. They were friends? Yeah. You don't, well, I don't, he didn't just meet him. You mean they were actually friends? Well, they went to school, and as far as I'm concerned, when a president flies in to see a principal, there's got to be some kind of connection. So uh, mm. that's that's an interesting connection. Uh, also, uh, with the people involved in this case, uh, George Tenet, Michael Hayden, uh, controlling uh, officer of the NSA at the time, officer of the CIA time, uh Louis uh, Frisch, controlling FBI at the time. Richard Dearlove, who was in control of MI6 at the time. All Knights of the Order of the Roman Catholic Church, Knight of Malta, uh, Knight of Malta, Jesuit train, trained at Duquesque. Um, all of these guys have the same tie to uh, the uh, Roman Catholic Church in the night of uh malta which was a jesuit sect 
inside the Catholic Church. So I don't know what that means. Um, but there was some very uh, just weird vibes about how, I mean, these kids, you know, they get caught robbing a van. Uh, they don't get charged. They don't do any time. They get caught with threatening notes on their websites. They don't get charged. They don't do any time. Um, and all the while, they're getting passed around, supposedly, by the sheriff's department. Meanwhile, the head of the Catholic, or uh, the head of the principal, or the head of the school there, the principal, uh, is good friends with Bill Clinton. Um, and then... The soccer coach for Columbine uh, turns out that there was an article just published, um, I think it was like 2019, that the head coach, the soccer team out there had been a pedophile for 30 years. For 30 years. Uh, so it seems like there's some very interesting things going on that uh, they may have stumbled across a sex trafficking ring because of using these two boys as the uh, as the primary shooters and it would explain being able to get them in a rage enough to uh, to you know take it out on people i don't I'm, i don't know what are you guys thoughts on this this is a very interesting turn but, that... but why not it just doesn't make sense if if these kids were used as push pillows like why why not take it out on the department why why kill your peers and, and go that route and i mean like I just, I the whole I... school was booby trapped Unless they're unless they're the mind control thing like does have like some sort of ground where they're seeing like how far can will this go, like or how far can this go, you know, to as like a you know, I hate to say it, but almost like a, a social experiment, you know, some like kind of thing. And it makes me, you know, with with this whole like bringing Bill Clinton involved, it like as soon as you said that, like the first question that came to my mind is like, who got promotions after this? Uh, Salazar, the one of the agents uh, working on that case that uh, for the FBI, ends up working for uh, Obama in the White House. I forget what role, but he was in the, a cabinet member. So there's uh, high promotions within this case. Also, um, this is you know where John DeCamp comes into John DeCamp comes into play because uh, he's the one that's doing the uh the interviews of these people and is the one that has believed he stumbled across this now who john DeCamp is is he stumbled across a sex ring out of omaha nebraska when he was suing a bank for or not suing but taking legislative action against a bank um for false statements or you know fudging numbers and it was a uh, it was the Franklin Credit Union in Omaha, and as he was going over their uh, funds, he discovered money being siphoned through Boys Town, which was a um, uh, a boy a town made for boys that needed adoption or yeah. uh, were homeless, and and uh, that Franklin um, 
uh, I forget his first name, the guy that owned the Federal Credit Union, had been using this bank to host high parties and traffic children for prostitution at these parties. And he collected uh, several, several uh, witness accounts of boys that had been raped from Boys Town that were sent out to D.C., that were sent out uh, worldwide. And then brought back to Boys Town. Some that went on several trips. Guys that had scars on their arms from ashes being put out on them by these fucks as they were getting raped, you know, or being used as sex slaves. So this is what John DeCamp from Lincoln, Nebraska stumbles across as he's in discovery with the Franklin Credit Union. And he goes to put it on, I think it's like 60 Minutes or 2020 or something. And it's in the TV guide that that's going to premiere. And then it shut down like the day before and never aired. And he released it on his own a few years later. But it was never aired publicly because all of the major heads in Omaha had been associated at those parties and could be called out by witnesses. And he realized that this was an international global ring called out Epstein Island before anyone else did. Um, in 92, in 1992, he called out that there was this going on. And when he was hired by Donna Taylor to investigate the parents of Dylan and Eric Harris's, uh, in, investigate the parents of Dylan and Eric Harris. Uh, he stumbles across uh, some very similar things going on with Jefferson County Sheriff's Department, the principal of the school, and this Bill Clinton ring called the Yellowstone Club, which was, you know, before Epstein Island, I guess that was the name, the Yellowstone Club, where they would have these sex parties. I'll... Uh, yeah. <laughs> I'll play a clip here. It is on, uh, once again, this is on the James Freeland show. Um, for children, get investigation into what happened into the daily, but um, do that. But now John and Ron are going to explain to us exactly why, because there's this huge cover up, there's a giant sex ring, pedophile ring in the United States, and it's global, it's not just the United States, and it's yeah. the elites. They right. share the same little boys. They share the same. They they hobnob in the same groups. All right, I, I'll I'll quiet myself up here. Now uh, we've moved beyond. We've gone beyond the fact that uh, he survived the shooting. That right. that he blew the whistle. That there were SWAT teams on the roof. It wasn't a maintenance crew. There were actual SWAT right. teams, and they were firing through the windows. You sued the corporate or you sued the pharmaceutical company. Won that decision. Now the investigation really got juicy for you guys. You, yeah, not, when was easy. it that you found out about, you know, what had happened to the two shooters? Because you can call. I, what I want to know is this, and then I'm just going to be quiet. Yeah. Are 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 Clyde Bolden Harris's parents allowed to be angry and upset at what happened to their children? You know, Absolutely. are they allowed to be but outraged been, that their sons were raped? I would think so. They should have the right to, but I believe they've been silenced and gag ordered, just like mm -hmm. John DeCamp. So, so John can't speak on. about that then. John? Hello? Uh, you've been gagged, so you, there's things that you can't talk about, right? Well, 
I can give you my beliefs and observations and opinions, okay. I guess. Well, why don't we let you do that, and then we're going to let Ron give his, because Ron's, Ron has a, a whole bunch of information, so we'll let you two get get it right into it, because this is why. It's because maybe of, Maybe I need to provide you a little information here. Okay. Yeah, I was the one that sued the drug company. I was the one that took up and revealed most of these things. I was the one that, that had... This is a very quiet lawsuit that was won. I just want to give you guys idea, a context of what he's talking about. Uh, this lawsuit, do you remember, you know, Prozac and all the, you know, all the antidepressants that were coming out uh, mid-90s after Ritalin? They were starting to experiment. Prozac was probably the first one. Um, they didn't require warning labels, but after Columbine, they did require warning labels. Hmm. Interesting that, and that's because this man, John DeCamp, that's getting interviewed right now, uh, is the one that won that lawsuit uh, against the pharmaceutical companies. And those warning labels now include, you know, if you're having, you know, headaches, if you're having suicidal thoughts, if you want to kill yourself, if you want to kill others, you know, please can, you know, talk to the doctor and get it adjusted, right? Not required before calling by. That's, uh, that's interesting little uh, little note side note. So that's what uh, that's what he's talking about because Eric Harris and Dylan Kleibold were both on medications assigned to them uh, a, a year prior to Columbine. A year prior to Columbine, after getting caught robbing the van, they're required to go on medication. So uh, to help push them from the maybe maybe. It's uh, it's definitely interesting. Basement tapes and located them and everything. I was the one. Oh God, I could go on and on. I got involved in the case very early when, through one means or another, the family contacted me because I think they probably heard about me from the Oklahoma bombing and other cases of that nature across the United States, which I used to be very actively involved in. But anyway. I just want to say this guy is the one gem out of the entire state of Nebraska. So that's uh, the one compliment I'll give. I you mean, it's going to really, br I mean, I don't like that. This is tied to my, my favorite state in football team, but I mean, not really, but I mean, it's Nebraska. So it's good. I just, it scares me when it gets talked about in like Omaha and Lincoln. Cause all I can think about is like, Tom Osborne and and whatnot and I'm like oh I don't I don't want to I want I want to hope that you know well it was out of Lincoln Nebraska where he discovered this so yet another win for Link well well that's what I'm saying like well how deep does this run like this would scare like I don't want to I can't I can't go down that that rabbit hole so I went and represented Mark Mark was shot what thirteen or fifteen times mostly around the heart survived. Miracle after miracle after miracle, and is still alive today, and is probably more sane if they'd let him out of there and let him uh, have his mind back than somewhat. And it was me who first came up with the conclusion that that uh, after I had gotten this access to these basement tapes and done depositions of the parents of the two boys that did the killings, and uh, got the information from them put all these things together that realize this is much bigger and more frightening than anybody imagines. And 
he got to interview the parents alone under oath. That I mean, that's valuable, right? John DeCamp did. Yes. Is he alive still? Like, no, he died. He in taken out. Died oh. in 2017. And uh, the system here is protecting itself. In other words, the system, meaning the system of government. This is maybe the classic example in the last hundred years of quote the system protecting itself because when these this information was coming out that I was introducing into the case, and that's when I concluded that I had to sue first of its kind in the history of the country, the drug company that was manufacturing these particular drugs. These two boys who did the shooting were being given and controlled by and, and what had gone on that's when uh, all hell broke loose in making sure that that uh, things got hidden, controlled and concealed. For example the boys had been picked up for some minor incidents or investigation or something and then they they became so to speak, controlled by the system, being used as kind of sex toys by the system. By that I mean law enforcement right. officials using them for sex and abusing them and so on and so forth, rather than so they didn't end up prosecuted for other things, trading them one thing for another, sex for will not arrest you for this or that. And uh, the more I learned, the more I became convinced. So I went ahead and sued the drug company. And then I got replaced in the case after I was going to open the case up and make it much bigger, try and make class action on behalf of everybody and all kinds of things. And that's when I got fired from the case, which I think was a big mistake. But that's neither here nor there. I'm working very closely with Donna and everybody now. They came back to see me about six months ago from Columbine. And uh, I believe the truth is going to come out. And it's far worse than most people imagine. I remember I was on my way from Colorado after we did a part of the court case there. I was on my way back to Nebraska to my office driving. When I get called on the phone and told all the files in your case are being sealed, no one can look at them unless they have court authority, and the officers are on their way now to Lincoln, Nebraska, to your office to seal all your records and take them, too. And indeed, they got back here to Nebraska quicker than I did on that day. 500 miles, roughly to the mile almost, from Denver to Lincoln, Nebraska, where my offices are. And they had gotten there, grabbed my records, scared the beans out of everybody in my office because they were three top patrolmen from the state of Denver ordered by the courts and Columbine and everything to go to my office and seal all records associated in any way. Just unbelievable. And uh, they were sealed for, I think, two years, and then they added on another five or seven years, and now they've added another 25 years on. And uh, it's interesting, right after I got off, 
I was fired and got off the case and had brought out the fact about these drugs and my claims in the court, guess what happened? That's when the drug companies got ordered put warnings on certain drugs, particularly these antidepressants and those things, have to put these warnings on the drugs you all see about who can and can't take this and how this and that and on and on. I think we should leave it there, gentlemen. Oh, uh, man. So, wow. uh, next week, we'll discuss more about the uh, removal of these interviews with the parents of Eric and Dylan. Uh, and the removal of the basement tapes. And we'll go more into what John DeCamp discovered in his process of investigating the pharmaceutical company as they entered into the crosshairs of the Columbine shooting. So, uh, any. This uh, is a turn I did not think would be associated hmm. with the Columbine. Like, this is. This is wild. This, I mean, now I want to, like, I want to just talk to, like, my father-in-law, my mother-in-law, you know, like, my wife, like, well, not her, she's, you know, but the, my mother-in-law and father-in-law, Colorado, like, they were there during this whole thing, like, I want to get their perspective on, like, you know, what else was getting pumped out and what they heard and everything else and this is going to be fascinating. This is this yeah. is a this one's got my stinger up. So, uh, should we uh, finish it with a little teaser? Yeah, we'll finish it with a little teaser, or should we just leave it there? Tease. Okay. I like teasers. I'll, I'll finish with. This teaser. is getting interesting, though, man. This like, is wow. uh, this is uh, the teaser for. Uh, uh, let's see here. Let me find. It. See if I can find it here. Uh, Doctor Deagle. And I think the doctor, see, my doctor that I used to go to, uh -huh. who I trusted, um, was my doctor and my son's doctor, right? Right. And then I quit going to him because he was trying to control me and Mark too much. Yeah. It became an issue where he was at our house all the time and it's scaring me. The doctor? Yeah. He would come to your house? Yes. Oh. And he would take his places, you know, on vacations and stuff to expose the drugs, or not expose the drugs, but talk about Mark's miracle of living. Oh, living through the shooting. Yeah to the shooting but what scared me is it got deeper and deeper and deeper it got like insane it got to the point where my god i don't know if I, this man's is nuts or what he was showing us chips that they put in people he's showing us that he's the government doctor for the, all the insurance um so this government um things for um evaluations on when people get injured so this government doctor is coming into your house a, a lot a lot like two or three times a week and then we go to church with him and then he we go to his house and um, it's just, it's just, it was freaky. I mean, you, and do you know this guy? He had my daughter babysit one time there, and it just blew my mind. I didn't know this was going on, but she watched the kids while uh, me and Dr. Deacon and his wife flew out of town to do a seminar in California. And he says, no problem, there's money in that top drawer. And he had this great big long drawer in front. And my daughter said there, there was at least $200,000 in cash sitting in the drawer. 200000 Yeah. She looked at it. She said, <laughs> I couldn't believe it. Stacks and stacks of $100 bills. And she and he told her he could she could have some. Uh, yeah, go and take care of the kids. There's plenty of money to feed them or whatever. Just take it what you need out of the drawer. Did she take any? Well, just to feed them. I mean, she, oh. she was honest. She did. She but, didn't rip them off. And he just he, he would keep that much cash in yes. there. Yes, can you believe that? This is Doctor Bill Eagle. Yes. 
Is he still over there? No, he, he left town. I, I don't know where he went, but in the paper, so they were looking for him. Oh. Who knows? They might have knocked him off. I don't know what's going on. Wow. All I know is my dentist. I used to go to a dentist that, that i know for years, and my dentist had stayed the hell away from him. Your dentist warned you about this Dr. Deagle. Yeah, kids stay away from him. He said you might have to pray for him, but he, and he is a brother in the Lord, but he's just highly dangerous. Stay away from him. But he, he, never, me. he never gave you reasons why. No, he, said, he would not. He just warned you. He warned me twice a week, three times a week. He'd call and see if he was away from us. Your dentist would call you? Yes, sir. <laughs> to warn you about the doctor? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I have never heard of that yeah, one before. He told me to stay away from him, and then also I ran across a ministry lady that had a book called, um, uh, let me think what it's called, um, her husband's a uh, music uh, artist, and he, uh, they live, they're Carroll family. Last name's Carroll's. And he, he actually is a professional singer, had a ministry. And then um, I forgot she wrote a book um, about her daughter that survived or something. But anyway, she was friends with them, and then I, she got my number. And then she started having problems with Deagle, and then she said she needs to stay away from him. He's, not, he's dangerous. Because oh. he did mind control of her son, and it cost him $20,000 to get him unhooked from it. And so he's the one giving, trying to give everybody on drugs and, uh, and scare people to death with... Use the mind control arm. And she never went into death with it. She said, stay the hell away from him. And so, <laughs> anyway, she gave me Ted Hagard, which I go to church down here, his number. And he, he said he's a bad character, character, stay away from him. Oh, the people of the church also. So even the pastor of the church. So this guy had a reputation all over the place. Hell of one, a hell of one. And, so, and of course, the police <laughs> never investigate, do they? No. And here's another thing: I, I'm really concerned about whether he put a chip in my son. Sometimes he's, he's talking to somebody; it's like there's some kind of a voice coming inside of him. Now I know God does that, but could it be a chip also? Well, see the, these chips. We'll, uh, we'll finish it there. Hmm. Finish it there. Uh, until next week, gentlemen. Have a good evening. This is the emergency broadcast system. This is not a test. Repeat, this is not a test. This is our emergency calling test. If exposed, we're using a camera.